I'm still grumpy, so there'll be no silly questions. Good morning, and welcome to episode 313 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. It is the day that the World Series is going to start when you're listening to this. It is the day when absolutely nothing is happening, the day that we're talking about this. Um, so uh, congratulations. You live in a better world than I do. Um <laughs> So we're going to do um, some emails. We're also going to do uh, a little bit of conversation because we didn't get to talk about something I wanted to talk about uh, because we had Zachary on yesterday. Nothing against Zachary. Um, but, uh, Ben, I wanted to ask you something about the Dodgers and the Tigers. All right. Uh, since since they are now eliminated, um, I wanted to do a quick um kind of exit interview sort of thing on uh, what the public or popular narrative is about them uh, mm -hmm. as they as they fail out mm -hmm. and uh, how you think that might affect their off seasons. Okay. So uh, what is your perception of how people view those two clubs given uh, their postseasons? Uh, I think they were viewed as very strong teams that suffered from injuries at the wrong time in part. Uh, a lot of people said that like the turning point of the Dodgers series was Hanley getting hit by that pitch, which, you know, maybe, but uh, that it seems like sort of a stretch. I mean, it, it's an impact. Certainly he, he is probably the, the best player on the team and he was either unavailable or, or diminished for the rest of the series. So that matters. But as we talked about with Cabrera, uh, it matters only so much. So that was part of the perception that, that he was hurt and Kemp was hurt and Ethier was hurt, but I think people still still think they're they're a good strong team if they if they have everyone healthy and that they're pretty well set up for next year. Um, the Tigers narrative also has some of that in that the Cabrera injury sort of dominated some of the discussion of of their postseason, but also some focus on the fact that their window might be closing. Uh, and that maybe they only have like one year left until some of those contracts start to get scary and there's not a whole lot of young talent on the way. And then probably also some focus on the things that they didn't do well because they ended up kind of coming back to bite them in the last game. Although not, it's not really fair to, to blame their defense for Jose Iglesias not making that, that play uh, because he was the guy they brought in to fix their defense and and had that effect to some extent. So that and and the bullpen, it was just kind of the the idea that we we knew what their weaknesses were, we saw it coming, and in the end, it did them in despite all the things they did well. Yeah, I've heard a few people um, sort of talk about the Dodgers as uh, anything less than the World Series was going to be a big disappointment for them, and um, I think mainly I hear that because like Magic Johnson more or less said that earlier in the year mm -hmm. and had to walk it back a little bit. But um, there was a perception that within the organization that was the feeling. But I don't feel like anybody who's talking about this actually agrees with that or, or feels that way. It doesn't feel like there's any disappointment uh, popularly about what the Dodgers did this year. They were This was sort of their first big year as a as a money team kind of i mean they added all those guys last year but they weren't a very good team last year mm -hmm. um and they started the year in last place for a really long time and then played like the best team in baseball for the last four months they won a playoff series they got to 
you know, they got to play 10 or 11 playoff games. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like they go into the offseason uh, with the public perception that they don't really need to do anything. I think if they don't do anything this offseason, if they just stop with what they have right now, there will there will be columnists yeah, columns being written in March about how they're going to win 110 games mm-hmm. and score a thousand runs and be the best team since the the 96 to 2000 Yankees and if Puig um, if Puig can hit the cutoff man yeah presumably Puig will be on a strict cutoff man uh, <laughs> regimen <laughs> this season yeah exactly <laughs> just every day wake up eight hours of cutoff man yes so everywhere he goes going to be cutoff man. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like the Dodgers right now, the, the momentum behind them or, or, or like the kind of momentum behind the perception of them is just going to grow for the next four months until, uh, until opening day comes and people are going to think that they're absolutely unstoppable, especially if, if Matt Kemp comes to spring training and talks about how he feels better than he's felt in years and hits, you know, six home runs in, um, you know, in the spring, um, and so, yeah, I, I think the Dodgers probably don't need to do much. I, I could see it being the case that the Dodgers might want to they, – they might, f- like, make one move just to demonstrate that they still are the big spenders. Like, that, like they don't want to – like, like if they don't do anything, it's conceivable that people will then start talking about how well they may have overextended their budget or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I could see them signing some, like, closer to, to fill their eighth inning, like some kind of classic rich team thing where they go out and get, you know, like – like like when the Yankees got Raphael Soriano, mm-hmm. that sort of a move, uh, just to kind of keep a little bit of uh, movement in their their money. But um, yeah, I mean they're they're good. There's they're not going to be good. Not a lot of pressure for to them to, to make moves because no one else in the division is really a threat at, at this point. It it doesn't seem like there was there was one 500 team in the division other than the Dodgers. Literally a 500 team, 81 wins, and the other teams. I mean. You could sort of see, like, maybe the Padres have been kind of a semi-trendy pick to, like, make a move one of these years, and they've got some young guys, and maybe that comes together. But uh, otherwise, it, it doesn't really seem like the other teams in the division are, are on the rise or, or like, the Dodgers are going to really have to spend more to keep pace with them or they're just not being not being pushed, really, by their, their division mates. So, nah, yeah. So... ESPN had a little fun fact that um, that the Red Sox are the seventh team since 1991 to go from last place to the World Series uh, in one year, um, and this this works out to like sl- just slightly fewer than random chance would suggest. It's like it's like one out it's like one out of every you know eight or something teams does that. Eighteen last place teams does that, mm. and you know theoretically one out of every fifteen teams would make the World Series if they were all starting at exactly, you know, an, an even an even point. Um, so does this fun fact shock you? Does it, I mean, because I bring this up because the Dod- you say the Dodgers don't have any competition, but you might just easily say that the, the NLS has four last place teams, basically. <laughs> and one of them is probably going to end up winning, you know, 94 games because baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's possible. But, uh, I mean, you could, you could, we'll know more over the winter than we do right now. Like if, if one of those teams goes on a spending spree all of a sudden, I mean, the Red Sox spent a lot of money over the winter and signed a lot of free agents. And there were reasons to think that they would be better just because of that. People didn't think they'd be as good as they ended up being, but, 
Um, I, I don't know. I mean, if I don't know if, if if someone in that division goes out and spends a ton of money and brings in a ton of players, then maybe the Dodgers will respond to that. But right now, the the status quo is just kind of that they are the class of that division, and it doesn't look particularly close. Yeah, I think the last place to World Series thing is actually uh, it's convenient parameters, but is actually not as as dramatic as it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I bring it up to to um, make you think, but I don't think it's actually <laughs> that convincing. I, I agree that the Dodgers are you know clearly better than the others, and I wouldn't want to bet on any of the others um or even the field i wouldn't bet on the field against the dodgers is what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um so the tigers i feel like uh the tigers narrative is that they are too fat and too old and too slow Mm -hmm. and people don't like to see that in october generally even when it's working people don't like to see it in october Mm -hmm. but when um you know when they lose because they're they're fat and slow and and to a little bit of a degree old. I mean, you know, it seemed like everybody on that team was limping. Uh, and the ones that weren't uh, run so slow that they they limp anyway. I mean, like mm-hmm. they, they run as though they're limping. It was, a, it was a slow, fat team. And so I could see them uh, going into the offseason being kind of pressured. I, I don't think they read the columnists, but I would think columnists will talk about how they need to add. They need they need a excitement at the top of the order is probably the the euphemism or maybe they'll they, they need catalysts or they need they need you know, karma scrap. they well they could use karma karma or uh yeah or cosma they could use cosma too. Uh-huh. Uh, uh so i'm gonna try to get ahead of the uh insane trade proposals and i'm going to i'm going to predict the trade proposal mm. which is different than predicting the trade mm. but i'm going to predict the trade proposal so here's here's what i think somebody is going to propose I'm, somebody will propose that the Tigers need to sign Jacob Ellsbury mm. to, to, to provide catalyst at the top of the order uh-huh. and trade Austin Jackson mm. for Howie Kendrick. And, of course, that move doesn't actually work because the Angels don't need a center fielder. So the Cardinals will have to be brought into it. Jackson will go to the Cardinals uh, and, like, I don't know, Carlos Martinez or something will go to the Angels and Howie will go to the Tigers in this trade that's not going to happen instantly. It's only a trade. It's a trade proposal for a trade that's not going to happen is what I'm, I'm now making a trade proposal, trade proposal proposal. I think part of this. May- I think this is a new this is a new genre. I believe. I've <laughs> just created the trade proposal proposal. Part of this may have already happened. I think I vaguely remembered this this happening. I just Googled Tigers Ellsbury and in Nick Cafardo's column from from the Globe this past weekend, uh, he wrote, "Tigers have stars, but still in need of a leadoff man." And they uh, he proposed that they sign Ellsbury or possibly uh, Chu. And granted, Jackson is a fine center fielder and excellent athlete, but on a team of base cloggers, he simply doesn't get on base enough. Yes, which is an this is awesome. <laughs> so take. this is you, it. I, you... You can confirm that I was actually out of town this weekend. Yes. And could not have you read didn't that even have cell phone receptions. So I didn't. I didn't have it. cell phone reception. <laughs> so uh, excellent. So it's starting. The momentum is building. And of course, Howie Kendrick, good friends with Tory Hunter. So mm. you know that there will be uh, someone will mention that yep. in their trade proposal that I'm proposing. <laughs> uh, 
So that's what I think the Tigers, the Tigers are going to need to get. Uh, they're going to they're need to get. I mean, if there was a way that you could work a Brett Gardner trade proposal into a Tigers column, I think that would go over well. That would mm-hmm. be total clickbait. clickbait so, mm-hmm. uh, all right. Do, uh, you, do you think they actually need to do anything? Do they like? Can they? We've talked before about how their lousy defense wasn't as much of a problem for them as it would be for other teams, just because they strike out everyone and they allow fewer balls in play and. So they were kind of getting away with it, and they could just slug a lot, and it didn't matter so much if they were a station-to-station base-running team. And and they have won a, you know, a good amount of games and, and made it pretty deep into the playoffs. Uh, so it, it has worked. It hasn't worked perfectly, but it's it's worked well enough. To, I mean, it's not like they need to change their roster construction to get over the hump and to get... And to win a World Series, I don't think they can. They can win a World Series with this approach. They just need to execute it very slightly better. Yeah, they almost made. They almost made the World Series this year. They almost won the World Series last year. I mean, you know, almost being like they got they closer than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, they were in it. That's exactly what I mean. Yes. Uh, so yeah, no, I don't. I I don't think that the Tigers needed to do anything uh, this year differently. I think they could have won it. This year, with the roster that they had, uh, you know, Cabrera getting hurt, A, obviously hurts a great deal, but B, also created this, like, great symbol of what they are, right? Because he became even slower, <laughs> and and the defense became even worse. Yep. Um, so it became, like, it just basically became something to focus on that crystallized, you know, their, their team's overall weakness. So that wasn't, like, that, that wasn't sort of great optics wise but um uh but no they could have won it this year i i I think that with a roster like this though um you know it gets a little harder every year because they're gonna be slower next year Mm -hmm. um and so i don't know that's a a little bit of a problem they're still gonna be i mean they're still gonna be way better than probably anybody in the central Mm -hmm. and they're still gonna have the best pitching in the postseason um there's certainly if brandon beachy can go from undrafted to to really good uh the detroit tigers can go from really good this year to really good next year like that will not even come close to testing baseball's unpredictability the tigers being good next year and as you've written about it it's not a bad problem to have to have a bad bullpen or to have to have your bullpen be your weakest link uh because that's it's kind of the least stable thing from season to season so if if you think that was what killed them this year then there's a very good chance that, that they'll have a good bullpen next year. Exactly. Um, so one thing that they are not going to do is sign Tim Lincecum. <laughs> That's right. He's off the market. Uh, because t- Tim Lincecum, while we've been recording this, uh, the details have been coming in on Lincecum, who's signed for two years and $35 million. Um, and the first response I have to all these moves is that um, w- w- I think that we we almost always uh, think that the money is is bigger than it actually is. Like like we have a hard time adjusting to rising salaries. Mm-hmm. So whatever somebody signs for, we have a little bit of sticker shock and go, holy cow, he's signing for that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's been true ever since forever, um, and we're just not very good at adjusting in real time. That said, Tim Linscombe seems to be a bad pitcher. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And I mean, he like, you like, you know, that this, 
two the two years he's been you know basically you know something like the worst pitcher in baseball. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounded like a strong statement at first, but but you're probably right, given the, the yeah, park I mean, and other, everything. Other than, yeah, other than all the pitchers who don't get to pitch as many innings. Yes, I mean, obviously, right. there are many worse pitchers who are mm-hmm. not allowed to throw 400 innings as a starter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, among qualifying pitchers, mm-hmm. uh, he's, been a, he's been an absolute disaster. Um, and, you know, I don't know. It's It feels... It doesn't feel necessary to me, but maybe it was. Hmm. I wish someone would make a timeline of all the times that we've talked about Lincecum this season and speculated about what he would get, because I I don't really remember. I remember saying a low number, um, and I think you said a higher number, but that may have been many many months ago. Uh, so it has little bearing on this. I don't I don't know. It 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 does seem like. I don't know. It, it seems like betting on a it is betting on a bounce back. Right. Because, I mean, it, despite inflation, I don't think there's been so much inflation that the going rate for a pitcher with replacement level. Yeah. Uh, for replacement pitcher, public pitchers, you know, 17, 17 and a half million. Um, so they're betting on a, a bounce back unless they're just so grateful to him for being a successful pitcher in the past or something that. They think that his popularity makes it worth keeping him around, or yeah, clearly they expect him to be better than he has been now for the past two years. At age thirty, after age thirty, having lost quite a bit of velocity, and that doesn't seem like a strong bet. I predicted uh, in the preseason predictions that we did, mm. that the staff did. I predicted Tim Lincecum would finish third in Cy Young voting. Huh. That was partly. I feel like I feel like if you get a ballot that uh, you get one freebie, like one, you get to you get to throw one away on a on an attention seeking whim. Mm-hmm. So like like there, are, I feel like there are there are writers who use the entire ballot for that, mm-hmm. and and that's immoral. That that should be discouraged. But I do I do think you get one one cell in which to put anything you want. Uh, because you have a hunch mm-hmm. and so that was like my that was my I think I actually I think I talked about it even beforehand and apologized in advance uh, <laughs> for it but I did think he was going to bounce back I no longer think he's necessarily gonna I mean, I mean yeah it's, he was better this year than he was for, in 2011 I mean he he walked players more or less in line with his his good seasons not quite as good but but you know, much better than 2012, and he uh, he gave up fewer home runs slightly, but still more than he used to. And and there was there was like a, a FIP ERA gap there, not not as huge as the previous season, but again, it was it was sort of a sequencing thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, if you want to believe that that isn't a reflection of of something uh, that it's going to change. I guess you could you could talk yourself into that. Um. Yeah, I don't really see the scenario where Linscombe gets better, though. Like, I I, I mean, if if he if he uh, if his ERA uh, corrects itself to his peripherals, then he's you know a useful pitcher. And it, I mean, if it goes all the way, like if you're not even going to allow that, there's any of that 
as his true talent or mm-hmm. is this, you know, if he, he has some sort of, you know, problem working from the stretch or, um, you know, problem, you know, with Babbitt or home runs for fly ball or, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't really see him as a pitcher who has the, uh, the ability to adjust in the old age. Like he, he doesn't have, uh, like, I don't know. I don't even know what I, what I look for in pitchers who do, but like Dan Heron, I could see Dan Heron being an adjuster. Dan, like Dan Heron's a, you know, he's, he's, he loses the velocity, but he's, it seems like he's able to do a lot with the, with a baseball mm. and Linscombe doesn't feel like he can do as much with the baseball. Mm. Like he's, he's electric and that's about it. And I'm not sure I see what the adjustment that he makes is that's really within his skill set. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have command. He's never had command. Even when he was awesome, he never had command. You'd watch. He'd, he'd, just, he'd just throw it down the middle, and the ball would end up somewhere not down the middle. And he, it didn't really ever seem like he knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that he, you know, it, it, w- it would move, and it couldn't be hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like, like I don't ever envision him being the guy who's going to like sort of tinker and and figure out what works and have this great command to go with it mm-hmm. um i i felt that way about casimir too though and casimir came so much so much farther back than i ever thought casimir would come so yeah uh, i mean you know who knows who knows who's a good bet to, to age well would you pay 17 and a half million for a guy with lincecum's fip 3.7 ish who throws 190 innings um, yeah, like if I didn't know his name was Tim Lincecum, yeah. if, like if this, if these two years had just fallen from the sky, what would I think of this pitcher? Yeah. Um, uh, in that park, probably not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And knowing how hard he throws and what his build is and everything. Yeah. I, so that's, that's not great. If you wouldn't, if you wouldn't pay this amount of money for the best possible interpretation of who he is then the the more realistic interpretation of who he is looks like an even worse deal um whatever i mean not that you not that any of these moves is is crippling it's like the it's like your your josh hamilton transaction analysis from last year where you sort of pointed out it's not a good move and it seems like a lot of money but it seems like every team has a lot of money right now uh yeah there's not necessarily anywhere else to spend the money. The Giants are kind of interesting because, like, they win the World Series in 2012, and they stand completely pat, like, yeah. just completely. Like, they brought back every single person from their postseason roster except Terrio, who was kind of even in the mix until the very end and sort of got forcibly retired, and Aubrey Huff, who I think had one plate appearance in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And every single other person from the postseason roster was brought back. And they go to last place. And now they're going, they re-sign Pence. They re-sign Lincecum. They're essentially standing pat on the last place team too, <laughs> which is also still the World Series team. It's like the same guys. And it's not a particularly old group. So it's not like you look at them and go, oh, well, Brandon Crawford, he's a thousand years old. No, I mean, they're basically guys who are, you know, aging through their 30s. Like this is their roster last year in age, 26, 25, Scudero's 37. 26, 26, 29, 31, 30. So those are all their regulars. Mm-hmm. And then their their pitchers, 23, 29, 28, Zito gets replaced, and Vogelsong probably, I'm guessing Vogelsong comes back, so 35. 
Um, and then there were relievers 30, 28, 32, 28, 35. So basically, if you took out 2013 and just said, oh, they're bringing back the World Series team, it would it would just like they're doing the same thing again. And I don't know that it's necessarily a worse idea than anything else they were going to do. Like, I don't know what the I don't know what the great plan is for filling 600 innings in their rotation. Good. They didn't have a, they didn't have a plan last year. I mean, last year they went into this season with five pitchers and not one pitcher more like they had <laughs> nothing when anything went wrong. And so I guess it's just like, well, we're just going to we're just going to keep signing pitchers until there are no pitchers left. Maybe. Yeah. See what they do with Barry Zito. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's probably not the move. Uh, that's going to cripple the franchise for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, just sort of a... <laughs> Especially because it's a two-year deal. It would have to be yeah, very bad. It would have to be pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I just don't know that I would want Linscombe in a rotation for any amount of money. So mm-hmm. when you start getting into big dollars, then mm-hmm. it makes it harder. Yeah. Anyway, uh, should we do an email? Sure. All right, let's find one. Uh... All right, so this is actually worth talking about because we were talking about the Dodgers, and so we'll just talk about the Dodgers for a little bit more. Logan says, uh, the time uh, with regards to Alex Guerrero, the Cuban infielder who is signed with the Dodgers for, I believe, $26 million. Uh, Logan writes, the timing of the signing by the Dodgers seems odd from a leverage perspective, given the amount of suitors and the relatively low price tag. Is it conceivable that Scott Boris moved Guerrero to the Dodgers at a low ball price purely to screw over Robinson Cano for leaving him as an agent? I just imagine that Boris texted Jay-Z the welcome to my house, good luck with Robbie, and wanted to send a message to other players that if you leave Boris, he'll ensure you don't get the money he can get for you. The idea behind this conspiracy theory being that uh, the Dodgers can no longer bid on Cano, and so it, it hurts Cano's leverage on the free agency market. Uh, Logan then continues, am I thinking um, into this too much? Yes. <laughs> Probably. Um... <laughs> it seems, It seems. I mean, for one thing, if, if there were other teams that were bidding more for for Guerrero, mm-hmm. we would, I mean, we would hear about it. It's not like, it's not like Boris would be able to keep that secret i mean we would know immediately right i mean we know what four other teams bid for abreu uh besides the white Sox. Mm -hmm. i imagine that we'll know if there are you know if there's any sort of controversy if any team feels like they got uh like like not treated fairly in their bidding for guerrero Mm -hmm. they would uh you know they would they would probably mention it yeah uh, so it seems it seems insane i mean have you had any sort of, there i think there are cases where uh it has been pointed out that agents could have conflicts of interest where yes. you know maybe he's, he's representing multiple players at the same position on the same yeah, market that comes up with boris himself often yeah it's, it's sort of it's inevitable and i don't i don't know it's probably easy to read into the final deals because of that my guess though is that um, my guess is that players are going to be extremely sensitive about this to the point that they're going to see conspiracies that don't exist. Mm-hmm. So if there is, if you're an agent, you would have to go, you know, way out of the way to avoid uh, even hinting at a conspiracy that 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 exists. I mean, it just would be completely ugly and 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 awful if if that were even part of Boris's reputation, which it's not. It's I mean, he's been representing players for. 25 years with um you know a reputation that has you know 
improved, but for a long time he was, you know, considered a villain. Uh, greedy, people didn't generally uh, like him in many corners of the game, but it was never considered the case that he was not doing what was best for his client. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, uh, I doubt that Guerrero would take a discount in order for for Boris to stick it to Cano. I could, I, yeah. I guess I could imagine Boris taking some pleasure in it, perhaps. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's not his motivation, but maybe it's satisfying in a way. <laughs> I could I could see that, I, but I, I can't really imagine it influencing or, you know, determining which teams he's trying to, to shop Guerrero to or anything like that. The, the the interesting thing to me is that this now, I mean, the person who really gets uh, a bad deal out of this is, well, maybe he doesn't, actually. I was going to say is Mark Ellis, because Mark Ellis has a $5.75 million option, I think, for 2014, club option. And so now the Dodgers are expected to, to turn that down. And that just seems like such a reasonable deal for Mark Ellis. Five million bucks with the buyout. It's like, really, it's less than $5 million to, uh, to keep him. And so let's see. Uh, reference has him as a three-war player this year, 2.5 last, and 3.3 the year before. So either, and I think we might have mentioned this before, either the league and these systems have vastly different ideas about the positional adjustments at second base, and I think we've mentioned it third base too. Mm-hmm. Uh, or this is like uh, great news for somebody who's going to get Ellis for cheaper. Great news maybe for Ellis, who uh, you know, if, if if teams believe this, would be in line to get you know, I mean, in line to get eighteen, but even off, you know, more realistically, maybe eight to twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's no he's no worse than Scudero, is he? Mm. Is he even perceived to be worse than Scudero? Probably not. I mean, probably after Scudero's kind of crazy half season with San Francisco, but probably not. And he's he's younger than Scudero. And so everybody wins except for uh, Cano and the Dodgers, I guess. Yeah, and Don Mattingly because he really likes Mark Ellis. Although the Dodgers, <laughs> the Dodgers fired Trey Hillman today who is apparently yeah. Don Mattingly's best friend and bench coach. So it uh, seems like there will be problems there. Uh, yeah. It, well, maybe. We'll see. The, oh, I wonder. Uh, yeah. The, I guess, the uh, move that we probably should have mentioned was the if the, if the Dodgers are going to make one big move, as you mentioned, it would probably be extending Clayton Kershaw, right? Yeah, I, I guess I, I guess I forget that that didn't happen. Remember that? <laughs> it seems so inevitable, that that... <laughs> and, and there have been so many well, numbers tossed around that uh, that it seems like it has, but no, it hasn't. There was a weekend where it was like uh, there were reports that it was very close. Yes. And it just didn't happen. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do one more quick one, even though this is going much longer than I'm comfortable with. Wow. Uh, Stu... Stu says, with Kershaw's 48 pitches thrown in one inning, it got even Rick Sutcliffe saying that was too many pitches in one inning, an injury risk. Um, so is 48 innings, 48 pitches in one inning worse than 48 pitches over four innings? Um, and the um, conventional wisdom is has been for the last decade or so that it is. And the logic behind all pitch count stuff is that fatigue makes pitchers more likely to to hurt themselves, particularly with sort of cascading effects on their their uh, their pitching motion, and so 
so yeah, the more tired you get, anything that puts more strain on you is worse. And so I'll just quote quickly from uh, a Jay Jaffe piece that he wrote when Ian Kennedy threw 50 pitches in an inning this season. Um, what has gotten less attention is that teams have grown conscious of single inning pitch counts as well, because running up such high totals without a break is believed to place an undue amount of stress on a pitcher's arm. Some organizations mandate the automatic removal of their minor league pitchers above 35 or 40 pitches. As far back as 2004, then Giants head trainer Stan Conti said in a baseball prospectus chat, Quote, we track all innings over 25 pitches as a stressful inning. Some pitchers may only throw 100 pitches, but throw them in four innings. So on the surface, it looks like their count was not as high, but they put a far, a far amount, I'm guessing a fair amount of stress on their arms if they threw 35 pitches in one inning. End quote. Given that emphasis, high pitch count innings are relatively rare. According to Brooks Baseball, since the beginning of 2009, pitchers have thrown at least 40 pitches in an inning 371 times which averages out to about three per team per year. Only 65 pitchers have gone above 45 in an inning in that span, or about one per team every two years. Kennedy's outing of 50 pitches tied for the seventh highest total in the majors since 2009, and the highest total in the majors since 2009 was Paul Mahalam, who threw 54. Uh, I certainly start noticing it at around 30 and uh, getting uh, my my uh, my heart rate goes up mm-hmm. after about 30 and I start counting very, uh, uh, very determinedly mm-hmm. and thinking that something exciting is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that exciting thing is, but once it gets up into the high thirties, I think, well, this is, this is getting out of hand. Something exciting is going to happen. And it usually doesn't. <laughs> yes. So, all right. Uh, so that's the show. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, you guys can uh, email us questions for next week's email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com and we'll answer some of them. Bye-bye.